0: a lot of the the leading anthropologists back then were you know older white men who um, worked a lot in theory and didn't do a lot of field work and field work and on the ground work with locals with the indigenous people and um,
1: (laughs) oh oh that sounds
0: thorough yeah it was it was dubbed armchair anthropology because it was anthropology that was done kind of from a distance metaphorically but also literally Before
1: you continue, can I just discuss how disappointed I am that there wasn't an (laughs) anthropological study on armchairs? Because that's just where my brain (laughs) went.
2: (laughs) Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives. It's like Hot Ones, but for alcoholics. My name is Jeremy Berger, a filmmaker and editor. And each week I chat with a professional creative, have a few drinks, and discuss the topics that they're facing. David Givens is a New York born and bred director of photography. He works a lot in documentary, and you can tell because he's unafraid to ask a few questions himself. But talking about where we came from is only good enough to a point where we turn and ask ourselves where we are going, especially in the wake of the changing conversation about race, its representation in front of and behind the camera. Take a listen.
1: Dave, first question, most important question What are you drinking?
0: All right, I just poured it right now. It's called Widow Jane. It's uh, bourbon, straight bourbon. Uh, I just got engaged not too long ago. Congratulations. Just, thank you so much. Yeah, we had a COVID engagement. We have photos with, with face masks on. I'm sure that'll be funny in 20 years. Oh, I hope. Uh, um, yeah, I hope so too. Um, but my, my friend got me this. I kind of had a, a little love affair recently with whiskey and bourbon, and uh, my friend got me Widow Jane. Um, so we'll check it out. Age ten years. Oh, pure limestone mineral water from the legendary Rosendale mines of New York.
1: Oh wait, I actually know about those.
2: Oh,
0: okay. huh. I'm, I'm from really?
1: Central. I'm from Central New York. By by, when I say I know them, it means I've heard of them in passing. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. I just, you know, I've been in New York City for so long now. Like anytime anybody says anything from Central New York, like oh yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> Heard of those I mean, mines like 30 years ago, but something like that.
0: Cool, yeah. Um, how about how about you? What are you drinking?
1: Oh, I am drinking a uh, Sierra Nevada right now. Uh, I've got trivia later tonight, so I'm trying to maintain a certain air of. Um, well, sobriety is going to be out the window soon. Let's just say not as uh, inebriated as they should be.
0: Gotcha. Uh,
1: and first of all, my, my commendations to you, I, I, I tell you that I'm hitting the record button and you start the conversation with whiskey. That's fantastic. Are you drinking <laughs> it neat?
0: Uh, on the rocks. On, on the, the rocks. rocks
1: today. Awesome. Awesome. Let's also begin with Lyle. Let's tell everybody uh, who you are, what you're up to, and where we can find you. And I like doing this up front because, again, whiskey, beer, yes. don't want to miss it.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Um, My name is David Givens. I uh, am born and raised in New York City uh, from Staten Island originally, Um, living in Queens right now. I am a filmmaker, Uh, I work mainly in documentary, um, specifically as a director of photography, cinematographer, um, but I also direct, I'm directing something tomorrow actually. And um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Dave Givens, Instagram, just Dave Givens and uh, my website is also Dave Givens as well.
1: Okay. Dave Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What are you drinking tomorrow, by the way? Um, or can you not talk about it?
0: I, can, I don't know if I can talk about it technically, but it's a part of a Bob Marley documentary series. Um, and I'm interviewing a few people, just some sit down interviews. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So that'll actually go on the Bob Marley uh, YouTube. right? Uh, uh- a few episodes have already been aired, it's, but uh, yeah, that'll be going out.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is going to air in like a few weeks, and if your stuff is done by then, I'll, 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 I'll of course be letting you know because you know, I might have to ask you to tell everybody on social media that you're on this fancy new podcast, uh, <laughs> but if that episode's out, make sure to definitely include a link for it so I can put it into the liner notes so people can check it out when, uh, when it
0: comes out. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, let's talk about how you got your start. Um well so it's funny so i studied uh i I, I studied acting in junior high school and high school Mm -hmm. and i I knew from new york i was like i'm gonna be on broadway and so i got into this uh pace university downtown financial district Mm -hmm. and and musical theater and i ended up up double majoring in in film studies so i really as that as in my during my training i really started to really want to be interested in film, because I would made a few films in high school, short films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting a BFA in musical theater and it kind of entered show business as like a young spry, aspiring actor in New York. Um, did that uh, in my early tw- 20s, I'm uh, th- 30 now. And, um, and then when I was 25, I, I kind of started, I got interested in making films, after I graduated and then and web series and stuff, just scrappy little stuff, you know, we do online on YouTube. And, um, and then I started uh, interning for a few film producers and one of them knew uh, the executive producer advice. This is season three of their HBO show and uh, uh, I got an interview after that internship um, and the executive producer um, named BJ Levin, he, was, uh, he, just, he just did my, uh, my, my hustle. And hired me as a production assistant, and I worked at Vice for four and a half years, and um, kind of grew there and learned about uh, filmmaking, specifically documentary filmmaking um, and at the, at the end of my time at vice full time, I had luckily had the opportunity to um, have done everything in production and documentary, you know from logistics to um, Hosting, I'd been on camera a couple of times. i have produced, um, and then I, and I shot, and I kind of gravitated always, generally to um, cinematography. I think mainly because I was always a creative person at you know um, at heart, and I, I found that like of all the things you could do, at least in in the situation that was that was I was in, which is documentary filmmaking, advice cinematography was the most artful, was the most creative, like technically creative thing you could do. Uh, there was a lot about lighting um, and color theory and composition. And um, I just thought that it was, you know, it was very beautiful and, and interesting. Um, so I gravitated towards that. And um, yeah, that, I mean, I guess that's how I got started, you know.
1: Awesome was there like a particular project or moment that cinched that deal for you? Was there something in in your recollection that you said, I, I want to keep doing this. This is, this is where I'm going.
2: Hmm. Um,
0: No, I mean I made a web series before before Vice and that was kind of gratifying. It's nice to see people appreciate your work. Mm-hmm. But I think I kind of just I mean, I always knew that I wanted to I always kind of knew what I you know, I, I knew up until filmmaking that I wanted to be an actor and pursued that and got into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of there was a lot of micro moments along the way. Um but I think in general it's like it's it's you everyone has moments of of realization that you kind of like you you in a lot of ways you study your craft and then you reapply what you've been taught Mm -hmm. and then you see it being realized and um appreciated and being um uh effective in what you're trying to do and i think that's like those moments even 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 till this you know my last shoot i mean i think it's nice to see, I think it's always nice to see you try to, you know, what, you, what was in your head be executed and produced um, onto, onto, onto the format, which is video. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, man, it was in my 20s. Advice, you can imagine, in my early 20s, it was crazy. So <laughs> I don't know, there's a lot of moments, but um, yeah, I think. Micro moments. Micro moments of just falling in love with what I do, what we do. And I think you probably need that as you, as you continue to get older in your career, you know, to, to re-fall in love with what you do and your craft, because you're going to need that love to, to push you through.
1: Yeah. Not an easy profession, by any means, the imagination. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just forming a thought in my head. Yeah. As a as yeah
0: chime in you know if you want to say you know i don't even i'm not sure where where are you from and you know you know i don't want to detour the the podcast
1: oh I, no, no, no 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 this podcast is very much about uh the people that are on uh where i'm at um well I where, got about,
0: go where, ahead. Are you, where are you from and how'd you get started
1: oh oh turning the tables hold on let me open up the second beer Ooh. <laughs> okay i'm from central new york from utica New York specifically, the home of the nation's first mental institution, as well as one of the top five destinations for refugee relocation in America. Wow, interesting. It really is. Uh, Growing up, the town, well, even before I was born, I believe going back to the 50s, please don't quote me on the history of this, uh, but there is a huge Lebanese population. Uh, What either conflict, because I know like, churches get really involved in that refugee relocation um especially churches with connections to the old countries that uh, the people come in from but this is also a rust belt town that you know fell on hard times over the uh, last half of the 20th century because of the fleeing of manufacturing overseas which meant we had a whole lot of real estate that just no one owned no one was paying taxes on people were lighting it out like I remember my first day in New York like it was yesterday. I, we, I was sitting there, Pratt Institute, mm. walk outside. The sun was shining. Yeah. Newtica, by the way, has more overcast days in Seattle. So hadn't seen oh, okay. the sun in a bit. And uh-huh. a fire truck goes just screaming by, like several of them. It must have been at least like four fire trucks plus paramedical services. They were, they were on their way to a huge fire, which was a familiar sound because I was so used to the sound. Of fire trucks in Utica because people were lighting their own homes on fire just to collect the insurance money. Wow. So yeah, so growing up, huge Lebanese population. And then with the Balkans conflict, we got a great deal of Bosnians coming in, and now the area sees a great deal of, I believe, and I haven't, and keep in mind, I haven't lived there in 20 years, but I still had a few friends up there, and now we have a lot, a lot of Vietnamese, uh, Somalian. In fact, I, I met a filmmaker doing a documentary about. Uh, the the Somalian uh, refugee relocation program in Utica. Uh, And again, they're able to just hand them out. And the great thing is people coming from war-torn countries, um, you put them into anything resembling even a a poverty-stricken neighborhood in America, Mm -hmm. and the changes are just almost immediate. They moved the Bosnian population into... You know, and again, if you get if you get any area with a whole lot of like unsupervised abandoned homes, like crime is going to surface because there's no better place to hide illicit materials. Um, however, you know, if you move in people from a war torn country, they're they're not afraid of American drug dealers. They have no fear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the Bosni the Bosnians would like come in and there'd be because you know, <clears throat> Central New York is also uh, you know, the other thing, unfortunately, Utica is known for is that a little ways north, we have, you know, a number of prisons. Um, so a lot of criminals would, like, do their time, get out, and then they'd settle into Utica, possibly, from what I understand from the few law enforcement people who chose, you know, got to, you know, I got to talk to about it. Yeah. Utica was a uh, a great destination for um, uh, any kind of narcotic or otherwise, um depot to move to points north over the border into canada or to points west uh that could stop over in buffalo rochester and even over to the great lakes areas so
0: Hmm.
1: you know um god this is gonna be the utica episode i keep going like this
0: (laughs) well well so this is interesting in terms of diversity so did you grow up with these uh being exposed to these immigrants like in terms of having friends
1: and stuff like that oh well, well yeah well the lebanese definitely because lebanese were the longest standing there um the bosnians came in towards the end of my time and um i've i've known a few uh, several of them um but yeah no i grew up in fact uh, the first falafel sandwich i had in new york city made me sick <laughs> uh, because, no, for real. Like, I, I, like everyone else, I was like, oh, I've never had falafel before. I'm sitting there, I'm like, this isn't falafel. They fry it. They fry it. You don't <laughs> fry funny. falafel. You bake it and it's crumbled. And it's this thing. It's called a wrap. And like two <laughs> years later, like wrap sandwiches came out in the market and it, it upset me. So and that affected
0: I, you as a young person growing up, you know, because that's an unusual uh, experience for the average American. It is, but it wasn't unusual because I grew up with it. Yeah.
1: It was it was just there. Um, yeah, yeah. No, my, my one of my best friends, and actually, I'm friends with his entire family. Um, we still talk to this day, and only now, and it's it's funny, especially now that there is this conversation about refugees in America that's especially been very prominent the past few years. I keep saying, let them in, like yeah. like let them in. Like we have land, we have property. I mean, we have entire. I mean, Utica is just one example of Mm. towns that have been, that literally suffer from having too few people, too much infrastructure, too few people. I mean, Detroit, to this day, I believe, and this is, I I read this once, let's not quote me on the facts on this, but is one of the few American cities that had to hire a civil engineer to trim back on its infrastructure, whereas a civil engineer's job is usually to build out infrastructure. So let's bring the refugees in let's let's <clears throat> give them a place to live and within and i and i did read this on a report recently so i can say this with a certain amount of validity i think it's like for every dollar we invest in refugees relocation in america it returns somewhere between a dollar 25 and a dollar 50
0: wow this so, is interesting cuz part of the the dialogue mm-hmm. to speak about it you know the the concern with a lot of conservative Americans Mm -hmm. is that immigrants are going to come here and steal our jobs, um, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you're saying, actually, uh, from personal experience of growing up in a place like Mm -hmm. Cubico that um, there are plenty of jobs to be had, and, in fact, it's an investment for a country. Absolutely. You can't...
1: by By that... Mathematical equivalent, right about people coming in stealing jobs. It's almost forgotten that in any kind of free market economy, jobs are only created by companies that are servicing people. Therefore, mm. if you do have more people, there will be more jobs to have to service their needs. You'll like you'll take a look at an uptick in let's take a look at the very basics, uh, medical um insurance uh basic utilities i mean without the people again there's there's there there is no economy like we we, yeah. we can talk about economy in the in the terms of dollars and cents to, un, until we're all yeah blue in the face but if it's not without shall we say micro like i don't want to say micro transactions but daily transactions like there wouldn't be an economy at all yeah so yeah so yes i i I do laugh at that particular uh scenario because honestly these a lot of these people coming in they'll make jobs for themselves Mm. i mean you know the uh you know carpentry i know was uh was a very big uh skill set uh, when uh, the Bosnian population was moving in because they were all coming in to like fix up each other's homes. Um,
0: That's kind of amazing.
1: It is, I mean, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, and again, it's it's not like it's just happening willy-nilly because I know that there's also like everyone tries to bring up national security concerns, which is again, hilarious. Who is trying to raise t- like toddlers in the middle of a war zone and says, you know what? I'm going to go to America and cause some trouble.
0: <laughs> that's not on the top of their priority
1: absolutely not absolutely not um and yeah there, there's there's lots of papers on it. and utica is like one of the top five and there are other cities like around the nation but once you see like the long-term just investment that and that people who have not had a lot of opportunities find when just given just the bare crumbs of an opportunity just you know they're planting seeds in a desert and you show back up and you know, like within three, four or five years. You now that desert's a garden, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch. And it, 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 it is upsetting to see Yeah, that vitriol come out against people just because either a, we don't understand them or possibly because we're sponsored by forces that would, would prefer we talked about that instead of, Hey, who went to jail for that 2008 housing crisis? Just, yeah. just curious.
0: Yeah. And the irony of course, is that, at its core, that, that's the American story, right? Absolutely. You know? We're uh, all immigrants. We all are. We forget that. Mm. That we're, uh, we're on s- stolen land, lest we forget. Yeah. You know, and um, shout out to indigenous people and the Native Americans.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know. And
1: I'm, and I'm curious because I don't hear so much about what's, and, you know, also... Perhaps it's just I should spend more time reading news than I currently am. It's just a little hard these days. But yeah, I am sure. kinda of curious how the reservation system is doing underneath this COVID nineteen.
0: Um, you know what? I don't want to talk out of school, but I hear it's not going well at all. It's uh, Oh God. I hear like I, I, in fact I heard next to the African American community in America, they're being hit the hardest because of the really lack of- yeah, because of the lack of infrastructure, and they already have uh, systemic issues with drugs and, and stuff like that. But um, it's not—it's not going well. They need a lot of help. So, uh,
1: yeah. damn it, yeah. damn it, damn it, damn it.
0: As you can imagine, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, ah, now I need this beer. It just this <laughs> is fun. Should have switched to scotch. Well mm. no, as it stands right now. Um, Getting back to me, that was horrible. That <laughs> No, was horrible. no, please. No, no. <laughs> no, as, as it stands right now, um, I was at, uh, you know, once I left Utica, came down here, went to Pratt Institute, um, was for at least a good 10 years just doing combination of shooting, editing, and producing before I went to uh, NBC as an editor only. I uh, was there for, from 2011 till 2017, and I've been predominantly editing since then. Uh, my wife and I are wrapping up uh, posts on our first uh, feature documentary.
0: Amazing. Congratulations.
1: And, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I thought it was going to take a lot less time. but would, Really? Would you, I mean, it's been a three-year project. It's been a three year project and I'll, I'll, I'll I, I can't talk too much about it right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll send, I'll send you some stuff via email, some private link stuff. I'm, I'm, I hope you enjoy.
0: Please do. I'm curious.
1: Um, wow. I ended up talking a whole lot about me. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, you're,
0: you're, you're an editor because can cut it and it's interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, I gotta be honest with you. I'm I, I've been, I, edit- I barely do any editing on these. Great. I said Perfect. to myself from the beginning, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to make it into another job because that's my default scenario. This is going to be fun. It's going to be light. It's going to be great and hopefully cover some great ground.
0: Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm glad it's just a conversation. You know, I it love is. Podca- I love listening to podcasts like that because you, know, yeah. you really learn about things and people.
1: Absolutely. And that's, you know, I had somebody apologize to me the other day. And they're like, oh, God, I talk too much. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Why would I ever want that? An audio based medium.
0: So what? Why did you? Why did you come up with this crazy idea? Like, in the first well, place?
1: that's that's kind of a funny story in and of itself. I was um, I I am in lockdown, um, like everyone else. Uh, everything's kind of frozen, and I initially in the first month of it, like I said, I've been working on this feature documentary. To which I, I hate to say, despite the horrible tragedy that obviously the global pandemic is. Man, I got a lot done that first month. Um, Mm. I got Mm. a lot done. The second month, um, it's not so much that there wasn't much to do, but I also, like, I was sending off, you know, I was getting some feedback from some people who I was kind of, like, test screening it with. And therefore, the work was less. It was becoming much more nuanced and much more focused. There wasn't, like, you know, I didn't have to make any, like, like, I didn't have to make a choice of, thousands of cuts it was always just like one or two or three and be very conscious about it so to a certain there's a certain degree of tedium in that finishing process and I was talking to my friend uh his uh stepfather had uh passed because of COVID-19 oh I'm sorry um, to hear that yeah it's 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 been rough uh it's been rough I actually need to follow up with him because Mm. There, there's an entire story to be said about trying to f- make funerary preparations in this environment. Wow. Um, yeah, I can imagine. So I was talking to him, and he was like, you know, I was I went to school for radio. You sound like you're trained. And I'm like, that's nice to hear. And then eventually that blossomed into, because I've, I've heard some other people say, oh, you should so, totally do a podcast. And I was like, oh, God, everyone does a podcast.
0: <laughs> um,
1: why would I do a podcast? Everyone does a podcast. And then I literally just Asked myself like one day when I was, you know, had the choice between recutting a reel that I had only just put out like a month before the lockdown, just because I didn't have anything else to edit or try something new, try reaching out to some people, you know, having a drink, talking creative, maybe find some inspiration and hopefully like, you know, get some other people like inspired. I yeah. have this episode, the first episode I did with my, uh, was with my friend, uh, Hillary. She uh, runs Cutter Productions. And she's, she's one of those just like business people. She's just got the brain for it. She, yeah. I, I, I've known her for years. And I, I, you know, I remember when she went to her high school reunion and uh, she came back from that. And I, I asked her about it and she was like, oh, yeah, it's great. I took a stack of business cards and uh, hopefully made some connections. And I'm like, that's your takeaway from your high school graduation? Yeah. <laughs> Mine was why wasn't there an open bar, but you, you, you just went there and networked. Okay. Apparently <laughs> creatives. She's and business. Yeah, no, she's, she, she's on it. And she said, and it's funny when I asked her, uh, where she turns for inspiration, you know what her answer was? What's that? My competitor's websites.
0: <laughs> hey, it's, it's by, a
1: great answer. It's a great, exactly. And so I asked her like, you know, um, just like, is there anything else you'd to say? And she said, if you're, if you're not taking the time now to do the thing not that you're doing but the thing that you want to be doing then you're wasting time
0: yeah for sure
1: this is obviously a horrible imposition on the way you imagine to do everything but that's where creativity (coughs) takes us and then after like i went oh huh okay yeah hey this has been great hillary and then i stopped recording i was like damn it i need to go book a shoot or something right now and i did <laughs> yeah. and i went out and just I, I i just went out and did some shooting with a friend just all pp you know PPE and like social yeah. distancing observed and everything but just yeah. get out there and do something yeah. so yeah so and and it's been kind of uh kind of great uh, there's a lot of people uh with a lot to say uh especially right now
0: sure
1: and um I feel like that's a, a kind of an easy segue to something else I'd like to talk to you about absolutely um, and you know that's it, funny. I bring up Hillary. We got a chance to talk about uh because she also uh, does a mentorship program to pr- try and promote um mm-hmm. women in uh, more crew positions or even in ad agency positions, but you know there's a conversation going on about race right now, and I would love to talk to you about. What that is looking like behind the camera?
0: Yeah, so uh, after the murder of George F- Floyd, you know, we're we're currently, um, and it's maybe starting to optically uh, slow down a little bit, but there's been a lot of marches and rallies and vigils and protests mm-hmm. um, in support of Black Lives Matter, um, and it's it's been a time. Um, it's been a it's been a revolution. It's been it's been incredible. Um, I should say, obviously, you know, I'm I'm African American myself. I'm I'm half black and um, Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it's been an interesting time. I think what's different about this because actually, one of my first first shoots wasn't my first shoot. You want you want to hear something crazy? My first vice shoot that I was sent out huh? uh, when, I was, when I was a production assistant. Um, was f- during the Baltimore riots. Oh, wow. And back in... Gosh, what was that? Let me look that up. Um, no, I'm trying
1: to put a year on it myself. I'm blanking on it, though. In
0: 2015, that makes sense, yeah. Yes. And I was a production assistant for Vice on HBO. And, you know, listen, rightly so. <clears throat> you know, staff was majority white. Mm. And They'd gotten. Uh, they'd hired a free um, uh, an actor who was on the. Um, sorry, what's the show? What's the show in Baltimore? The Wire. The Wire. They hired an actor who was on The Wire, and uh, to be a to be a host. And um, the crew was majority white, and the, the executive producer, who also hired me, mm-hmm. was like, "We need more. <laughs> we need more people of color on the on the crew." Uh, mm-hmm. This is back in two thousand fifteen to cover this um for multiple reasons optics but also safety and consideration and everything so he asked me you know this is after working 12 hours Mm -hmm. and i've never been on a shoot and he was like do you want to shoot do you want to go to baltimore you would have to leave tonight oh you get ready in in an hour (laughs) no pressure (laughs) and i and i said hell yes you know and we got in a car and we drove to baltimore from new york from Mm -hmm. williamsburg and um It was probably like an 18 hour day, Um, but it was like um, an experience of a lifetime. I mean, I think the first night we found ourselves following a burning, you know, following a a fire truck that led to a burning building, like a, you know, a block long in Baltimore. And that was my, so my, you know, my first shoot was, was, and that was part of this kind of original movement of this Black Lives Matter movement back in yes, And so that was my first shoot. And yeah, it's not lost on me. One of the reasons why I've been called recently for some shoots is because I'm a person of color, I'm a filmmaker. But even back then as well, uh, you know, and I appreciate it. The executive producer, you know, wanted me on on the crew and also to give me my first opportunity because I was a person of color back then. And it was, uh, it was a trip and it's a trip now. So part of the conversation now, you know, people, it, what makes this... Uh, movement a little different is as is, 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 is like the allyship yes quite frankly all the all the white folks who are uh, protesting or joining the movement and supporting and uh, having um, deeper conversations about race and systemic racism mm-hmm. and how they can apply it to their individual personal lives
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, not just not just in their personal lives but also in 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 their work um do you think you know? Questions like, do you have any friends who are uh, people of color, any at all? And if so, maybe you should get one uh, or two and, and start having this dialogue and um, in your in your on your your team at work, you know. And these conversations are now starting to be had in um, in the film, in the TV, and film world. And um, so I, you know, specifically, it's 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 interesting what's happening now in the documentary. World. I was just talking. I was just looking it up. There's this um, incredible organization called <clears throat> Brown Girls Doc Mafia, which is this. It's an initiative where that's just a collective of of people of women who are of color who are in the, specifically in the documentary world. Um, oh, that's fantastic. I have a list of them, and you know, and their skill sets. You know, if you're interested in hiring them, and. Um, and uh is that a link that's freely available yeah you can actually you can go at browngirlsdocmafia.com and they're on facebook and instagram and the founder i hope i say her name right is um iabo iabo Boyd. she wrote this uh you know she's she's fantastic and um in a recent article that was written by uh, an, a in on magazine i was just reading before this podcast she's talking about this very issue in the documentary world and and how um, what filmmakers, fellow filmmakers who work in TV and film, can do to kind of help um, address systemic racism in the workforce. You know, mm-hmm. so we're still working on finding uh, having more women and people of color um, on crews. It's interesting because it's it's in terms of talent and directors and creative. There's a lot more. There's still work to be done in terms of like having it. Uh, be relative to the population. If you want to start there, you know, mm-hmm. um, this forty-seven percent of women in the you know of people in the population of America are women. You know, mm-hmm. so we would like that to kind of be near what's represented in, in the film industry. And um, same thing with, with people of color. But um, um, in in the documentary world, um, there's a long way to go. And in, in crews in the crew world, in terms of cinematography, what I do and everything under that mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's um generally um white male crews out there and um it's important in in every aspect of the industry but i think specifically too in documentary and also i can specifically talk to that is that because you're filming real stories real people uh in real time it's not it's not um scripted it's not narrative mm-hmm. um i just went um uh, last week, week and a half ago, to to I was sent to Mississippi with oh, wow. uh, the news organization, and um, they uh, it was about it was covering the um, the Mississippi state flag, which also has a Confederate flag in it, and uh, the bl- Black Lives Matter movement down in this little town, and they're they're try- uh, trying to take down a local Confederate statue, uh, pretty much to no avail. Uh, but it was really powerful, and probably the most, actually probably the most difficult. Emotionally difficult shoots I've ever had, and I've done some, 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 some interesting shoots because I couldn't, I couldn't remove myself from the subject matter. It was about me, and I'm a, you know, I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm a glad I was there on set, thankfully, uh, in the crew, um, to represent um, the people who we were filming. You know, the story we were telling. Um, so it's this is an interesting conversation that's being had. I'm sure you're having it too about how we can address it. You know, it's nice to it's nice to go to marches and talk about it, but how can we really apply this stuff uh, when the dust settles to our lives in a personal way uh, everyone, you know, allies included.
1: Absolutely. How are we making it? like having the conversation now is wonderful, but what conversation are we having 6 months from now? Yeah. Are we having the same conversation next year?
0: yeah exactly and and uh yeah you know i think she uh let me see how much i don't if she wrote it down but i think she wrote something um i'm gonna quote her the Yabba boyd the Yabba boyd the founder of um brown girls doc mafia she said you know in this article good allyship for me is doing the work all the time and on overdrive and in the genuine way, it's not just reaching out when you need to diversify something, when mm-hmm. you need to find a diverse hire or when you're making something that suddenly feels out of your depth and you need a brown person to make you look good for your funders or to your board Oh God! or, or who makes you feel better about yourself. For me, it's an everyday all the time interest in diversity, equity and inclusion. And I thought that was beautiful. And and true and like this is a difficult discussion, but at the end of the day, I feel like the positive spin to me is like if you diversify your life, mm-hmm. it only b- brings back dividends. And it, you know, if you d- just like diversify your life, just like you would your stocks. If you have diversity in your friends, mm-hmm. uh, in your family, in your in your workforce, mm-hmm. your life is more fruitful. You learn more things. You know. Um, and I think allyship shouldn't just be, yeah, it shouldn't just be, you know, something you do out of, con- you know, convenience or inconvenience for that matter in terms of production and working and what we do. It should be an everyday interest because, yeah. you know.
1: What's funny, I was on another recording um, last night and we were trying to come up with the name. Neither of us could remember it, This is also towards the end of the interview. So we were like three three drinks in um and it was called virtue signaling i believe he emailed me at like two o'clock in the morning when he finally remembered the term that we were looking for this have you heard that term by the way i i i had not heard it until he said it the entire thing like i'm doing something good right now see me doing the good thing <laughs>
0: uh well that's listen that's social networking in a lot of ways right Fair enough. Fair enough. My life is better than yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, look at it. And yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: So, how can this conversation, like, what small thing can people do moving forward to just A, keep the conversation going, and B, just keep progress kind of moving? In your opinion?
0: I think, listen, I, I certainly. I'm not going to speak for all of people of color, but I think in general, like, um, in terms of practically, you know, if you're let's let's start here. If you're doing uh, a film about the LGBTQIA community, mm-hmm. you probably should have one of them on your crew to represent. You know, if not in a in a in a position of influence on set, they should at least try to have one person on on the crew. Mm -hmm. if not um half you know it's fine you know you know i think this it's we get it it's an it's an incestuous community industry in general in general you want to work with your friends your family you know they become your family and that's and that's fine um but i think it's important i mean have one person on set it matters especially in documentary but of course on, on film too and um I think that's where you can start. I mean, I think you can make a, make a friend if you don't have one. I mean, you know, like you said, it's funny. Cause I asked you, I was like, you know, I asked you about what that was like, you know, growing up with immigrants in where you're from in Utica and, you know, cause it's such an unusual experience in America. And you said, well, that's the thing. It wasn't unusual. It was normal. Yeah. I, I'm from New York. I'm from just, uh, a more, an interesting place in new york city staten island which is majority white and conservative but also in pockets very diverse like last i checked it's actually speaking of immigrants it's, it's the largest population of liberians in america staten island really which, which is interesting because it's not what you would can think of when you think of staten island um first off you might think of pete davison or or uh, the Jersey shore or whatever. But that's a fun fact. <laughs> the, um,
1: the Goffles bridge is, is a particularly haunting experience for me, but <laughs> I don't want to tell the public about that. Please continue.
0: Uh, <laughs> we're spoiled being in New York, you know, in terms of like diversity being normal. But I think that's something that you can start wherever you are in the country. Um, just try to have someone present who, who you're, you know, if you're doing a story, you know, and, and, and then I think furthermore, just have, try to have diversity in general, you know, not just because you're doing a black film, mm-hmm. you know, let's hire a you know, black person on the crew, maybe just try to have, and trust me, you know, it'll pay back dividends. It's interesting, you're gonna, when you have different people who are part of your life, uh, they're gonna bring up different things that you might not have considered. And it's only gonna make what you do that much better, you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's where I think that's the most obvious thing as as someone who's a freelancer a person of color working in New York um, I think that's a start you know you can okay. start in your allyship of your friends but also like who you hire you know and um, that's there's resources out there including the one I mentioned and I think you that's 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 not a stretch you know there's qualified people out there and then, and then you'll start to have uh, deeper conversations just just from them being around and then you'll learn more and you'll share you can share your experience and then we'll all grow together well let me ask
1: you one other thing because there's always like the like the kind of question and and this tiptoeing i feel i and i could be wrong about this but i feel like on either end of the conversation well let me relate this with an experience that i had years ago um i had gotten a call I prefer not to name the organization, Um, but they had liked my reel. They asked me to come in uh, for an interview. It was summer. And since I was in advertising and marketing, summers are typically dead zones for post-production. There's some production going on, but post doesn't really kick in until the fall, right? Um, So I was like, yes, I would love to come check this out. And the organization uh, was a Jewish organization that was putting together a video about uh Hanukkah um and I walk in and I walk in and it turned out to be an orthodox uh uh community and while everyone is walking around with their button down with button down shirts and like slacks and I'm going in there in a Hawaiian t-shirt like sandals and shorts um and I'm sitting down across from these two guys who had looked at my reel, liked it, and looked at my name and decided that I was Jewish, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really, and if, Yoni, if you're listening to this program, you could not give me the job, dude. I assumed that I ended up getting the job. Uh, but they had to ask me that one question they couldn't ask me, which was, am I Jewish? Which they did. They, they got through it. God bless them for it. And then I got the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a terrible position for them because, you know, it is, of course, illegal to ask somebody what their religion is in the middle of a job interview. But so I always feel like there's a question of tact and feeling out the room when we get into a conversation about race.
0: Yeah, this should be uh, we should address this, too. Mm-hmm. This happened to me once. Uh, not too long ago,
2: uh-huh.
0: I was um, working for an organization uh, called The Root. Uh, they do black news and TV. I, I shot a series. For oh, them they're about... part. Of, yeah, they're part of the Gizmodo group. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. I, I, I read their articles every now and then. Very cool. Very interesting. Um, I, shot, uh, I shot. a shot a very small piece. They don't do a lot of docu series. It was one of the first ones they done. Um, about different Martin Luther King boulevards in the country and what they're up to. So we did a few cities. It that actually won. It actually just won the Webby Award. Congratulations!
1: Uh, thank also, you. that sounds fascinating.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, but here's here's a story.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I um, fellow freelance uh, white uh, DP, white male DP. I was telling. Them, I was like, Hey, dude. I was like, Yeah. I just uh, you know I just got I just got this gig. Um. And you know, I was telling I was telling him it's like you know, the producer was looking for black DPs in the in New York, and she couldn't find like she like they looked they looked for a couple of weeks, and eventually someone found me. And I told him about the story, and so far so far so good. It's super interesting, and uh, this is someone I considered a, a, a mentor who taught me a lot of things about cinematography, documentary cinematography uh, along the way. And his first response was, "You know that's illegal, right?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "You know, it's illegal that they discriminated. Uh, they're not allowed to look for you if you're if you're black." And I was like, hmm. I was like, "Dude, are you fucking? Are you serious?" <laughs> um, and he, and he quickly apologized. He's like, "I'm sorry. I don't know why that was my first response." He's like, "That's that's good. That's good, man. Good for you." And um, and he's like, "You know, I, I just took uh." you know I just had a, an h r seminar recently, and they told us that you know you're not allowed to uh, what you just said you're not allowed to specifically pinpoint people based on race um, for hiring and it's interesting that was that was a heavy moment for me you know because I felt like you know a lot of my life have been a token black guy you know even to this day you know but um you know it's interesting to be a token black guy and have white mentors and you know throughout your life and live in a you know white world in a way and then for have one of them to even to say that to you um it goes to show you where we are but also like it's a very you know if i'm being honest it's a very it's a very competitive you know people will say oh it's not true but it's a very competitive industry mm-hmm. and um and like like um like life is to be honest but it's a very competitive especially when you're freelancing to the point where that was his first, even if he thought that, that was his first response. Mm-hmm. Um, and legally, he might be right, but there's a part of me is like, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, you know, I don't know. No, it's <laughs> it's it's it's
1: I. Mean, it's not a question. I think you know, as scholarly individuals as you and I are, we're going to come up with necessarily right now. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it, it is because now I think the question ultimately becomes like: Do you ask about it, or is it that you can't be ruled out because of? And also, and this is a logistical question more than anything else. Legally, how do you separate or tell that difference? And that's somebody from law is going to have to handle that one. I'm. I, I, Man, I just edit movies. What can I tell you?
0: Yeah, and and these this is all these are all fair questions, and this is part of the discussion. Yeah. Um. And I guess you know the difficult thing. You know the difficult thing is it's like, what is that question? What is that counter question really? Who is that really benefiting?
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. it's certainly not benefiting the minorities who are who tr- tr- You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: that question, that counter question although, you know, legally just is not in service of minorities who are trying to even like, um, relatively like get, get into the margins of like what represents society. Like, you know, women don't, you know, the amount of, the percentage of women in a country doesn't, doesn't represent the percent of, of women in the film crews. Absolutely you know? not. So I, I understand, and listen, part of me relates and understands the argument. But, I mean, I also kind of don't give a shit, you know what I mean, as a minority. I mean, it's, but that's something we'll have to, we'll have to really talk about and have longer discussions about. And, and if you're an ally out there who's a lawyer, you can join the conversation. And, um, but I don't know. It's like, it's, I was just looking this up too. I was thinking about this. Um, uh, there's this thing called uh, armchair anthropology. Have you heard of this? No, but I'm
1: sold on it immediately. Please <laughs> continue.
0: This is a concept, I think. I was just looking it up. I was asking my fiance about it. Um, it's a concept that was uh, from the late 19th century to the early 20th century, uh, armchair anthropology is basically, a lot of the, the leading anthropologists back then were you know, older white men who um, worked a lot in theory and didn't do a lot of field work and field work and on the ground work with the locals, with the indigenous people. And- um, (laughs) Oh, oh, that sounds thorough. Yeah, it was was dubbed armchair anthropology because it was anthropology that was done kind of from a distance, metaphorically, but also literally. And Before
1: you continue, can I just discuss how disappointed I am that there wasn't an anthropolog- <laughs> anthropological study on armchairs? Because that's just where my <laughs> brain went.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I'm sure that's very interesting. because there's, there's some interesting armchairs out there,
1: Jeremy. I, you know, no one discusses this. And no one arms. discusses this. I, I, hey, everyone's got different arms. That, anyway, I'm sorry. This joke's over. Please continue.
0: Um, And I think that's a part of the, you know, like, you know, when we're making films, documentary films, or even narrative films, it's, yeah, it should be, it matters who's making the film, um, who's representing the crew on the film, you know. Um, It has an impact, you know, especially in documentary news. um, And um, these are difficult discussions that we're having and we're going to have to continue to have, um, especially if we're going to address systematic racism in our industry whether you believe it or not whether you subscribe to it or not it's 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 been an issue you can just look at the, the stats you know something's off and so you know, yep. we'll just have to have these conversations you know yeah. and
1: i mean when it's mathematically represented in several different areas from you know uh Housing and urban development, uh, income earning uh, potential based upon geographic or racial densities, like on and on and on. Like the math is there.
0: Yeah, and there's, and, there's a and, sliding scale. And I'll do you one better, you know, for the yeah. flat earthers out there. Next okay. time you're next time you're on set, look around. Mm-hmm. The next three times you're on set, look around and count how many women, and or people of color or people part of the LGBTQIA community are on set. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Um just note that, you know, and you know, try try to try to get get one of them one of us on set next yeah. time. And just yeah, have the continue the, have the continued dialogue. That's all. Yeah. It's not a big ask. Yeah.
1: It's and, and that's and especially it's funny when we first had a conversation, you brought up the term um affirmative action. Yeah. And it's incredible because that goes back to when I was a kid. I heard people complaining about that when I was a child. Yeah. And I don't want to discuss exactly how old I am, (laughs) but I'm not 30. Um, Listen. And it's incredible how that's been demonized. Yeah. Because, and yet demonized with so very few factual backups, either to its successes or its failures.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Now I'm learning. I was just reading. I'm reading this Malcolm uh, Gladwell book called "David and Goliath." Uh, You know, my name is David. Someone recommended to me, and it's (laughs) but it's really interesting. But he's talking about one or in one parts of the book, he's talking about uh, a way in which affirmative action is harmful for um, African Americans, specifically when they're shoehorned into Ivy League schools. Essentially, you're just become because a lot of basic confidence is, is a big part of success, it turns out, which is the argument for the book, which is huh. that you can be um, you can be the lowest of the lowest percentile in Harvard, but be in any other general like middle middle tier school in America. You would actually be in the top tier percentile. But because of this low morale you have because of your peers at Harvard, you'll actually um, the likelihood of you dropping out altogether is extremely high um it's the same It's the same percentage of dropping out in any other school, which is kind of interesting. Mm. And furthermore, the people who do survive and, and graduate tend not to have um, as successful careers as fast because literally just confidence, because you thought you were the dumbest one in your in your in your school, but your school was Harvard. So you have to have relative understanding. Whereas so these these people, these African Americans who are being pushed because of affirmative action, without any sort of cultural support, are are falling very much into this lower percentile so like again um you know i think it's nice to just start with get a <laughs> get a black friend or get a, a black person on crew or per, you know a woman or a person of color or part start, of the start so finding like, a different
1: start finding yes, a different perspective but it's
0: also about vibe and environment and because um if you're just having token people there and not having at least at the very least conversations with them they're gonna to fail too. Because mentorship is a part, like you brought up earlier, mentorship mm-hmm. is a part of the um, of the conversation too, mentorship. And um, it does you don't have to have, you know, I've had plenty of uh, white male mentors my, my entire life and I and I will, and I can, I'll continue to have that. And that's cool, you know, and it should be, it should, it, you know, people shouldn't be afraid of, of being a, having a mentee mm-hmm who is a person of color if you're not, and, and vice versa, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the affirmative action, yeah, people are offended, you know, people are offended, but I think, listen, we can't undo history, like, you know, slavery happened, and it's pretty, it's, it's, it's brutal the way, the, the effect that it's had even to this day, and um, I think, It's not enough to just not address it and to feel like, you know, I shouldn't have to pay for the sins of my father. You know, I think we can, we can, we can try to correct the mistakes that have been done in the past in a positive way. We're just saying, add these people to your network Mm -hmm. and befriend them and, and start some mentorship. That's it. Who are qualified to do to, you know, for the job, whether that's be your friend or, be your production assistant, or your your cinematographer, or director.
1: Yeah, I feel like almost like qualifications is 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 in a scientific like a, a scientific parlance is a constant. You know, uh, the variable that we have to address is, of course, diversity. Yes. You know, so let's let's do it
0: like you know if they're not that will be it, used it, that will be used as a, a counter. Well, they're yes. not. You know, we look, but then no one's qualified you know, which was a whole other conversation, you know what I mean? So,
1: and I mean, and this is something I was just thinking of uh, cause I talked to you uh, about Hillary Cutter and her mentorship program. Are there production mentorship programs for people of color that you know of?
0: Um, yes. And I, I'm, and I'm not, I don't know them offhand, but you know what? We'll we'll add some links to the podcast.
1: We're definitely going to add those links to the podcast, Those they're worth uh, uh, subscribing to. If you are a person of color looking for mentorship, and of course, um, if you know they do re- require support in some other way, and you are not a person of color, please consider supporting.
0: Yeah, and I'll try to look for things that are specific to listen. And I'm still lo- learning and growing, you know, to this day. But I'll, I'll look. I'll try to put some stuff in specifically in regards to cinematography, production work, stuff like that. Um, Because I'm sure there's many, many lists and many various um, crafts and positions in the field.
1: Absolutely. And
0: the wonderful thing about the uh,
1: modern age, especially with motion pictures, there are so many other venues, there are so many other pipelines that can be considered from online to broadcast to, Short from short films to features to news to daily vlogs, which you know Casey Neistat just conquered a few years ago, I come to understand. So there's always going to be a you know a market for new voices that should be explored and you know hopefully solve the problems that you and I, having beers and being the scholars that we are, can't
0: solve today. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate your support and. And thanks for having me a part of this conversation. Of course, I of course. I talk to you again. And-
1: oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you have, because um, I know you say you're working on some shorts, um, the the journaling that you're going to be doing, uh, definitely when that gets, uh, you know, when you start getting on that, I'd love to have you back on, catch up, find out what, you, what you're, you know, how's it going? And if you haven't cleared that bottle that you're currently drinking from, well, we'll certainly do it then. absolutely that sounds great David an actual absolute pleasure talking to you I look forward to doing it again
0: thanks for having me it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor Um, hope to do it again cheers thanks Dave for more check out
2: davegivens.com and for more links and what we discussed here head over to drinkingwithcreatives.com if you enjoy the episode please subscribe and download on whatever is your most favorite listening platform I hope you enjoy this show and I'll see you next time